This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Tonight we're continuing with our latest series called Into the Deep. We're going to be wrapping it up. And as I said at the start of this series, I believe it's God's desire for us as followers of Jesus to follow him out into deeper waters, into places that require faith. John Wimber once said that you spell faith R-I-S-K. What are you willing to risk for Jesus? Where are you willing to follow him when he says, come on out on the water, follow me a little bit further, let's go a little bit deeper. Where are you answering the call to follow Jesus into the deep? And the first week we spoke about not fearing the deep because it's the place where God promises to meet us. The second week, we talked about Ezekiel's vision and how God invites us to move from the ankle to the knee to the waist, deep water, and then to when we were feeling completely overwhelmed and in over our head, representing different stages of life and different seasons that we go through with him. And then the third week, we discussed crossing over to the other side. You guys remember that? Where Jesus was napping on the boat and the disciples were freaking out and the waves and the wind were crashing and they were just being completely overtaken. And we talked about how Jesus can be our peace in the midst of the storm, in the midst of whatever it is that we are going through. Tonight, I want to wrap up this series with a message I'm calling, He Will Make a Way. He Will Make a Way. Once again, let's go to our anchor text, our primary text for this series, Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 2. It says this, Do not be afraid, courageous church, for I have ransomed you. I have paid a high price with the blood of Jesus for you, amen? And I've called you by name. Did you guys know that God knows your name? Come on, Buddha don't know your name. Joseph Smith don't know your name. God knows your name, amen? And he says, you are mine, you belong to me. When you go through deep waters, not if, every one of us is gonna go through some deep stuff. When you go through it, Here's the promise, church. I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, not if, but when you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. Some of you need to anchor your life in this text. As a backdrop to what I want to talk to you about tonight, I hope this this passage of scripture has been speaking to your heart over these past few weeks. I know over the past couple of weeks and months, I found myself just returning to it, just to remind myself that I don't have to be afraid and that God is with me and that I won't drown and that I won't go down with the ship. Amen. Over these past few weeks, I've had to remind my soul of this truth that he is with us. We are marked as a people, a peculiar people, mind you, Not as those that that are called to conform to the world, but called to be what? Transformed by the renewal of our mind. We are marked by this central thing. Are you ready for it? The presence of God. The presence of God. Moses said, I don't want to go if you're not going to go with me. I don't want to go. I don't want to move this church into Salt Lake City, Lord, if you're not going to go with us. Why? Because we want to be marked 
We want to be distinguishable as those who have the presence of God with them. This is so important. I think it's the, the most distinguishing mark that's supposed to be on the church in this hour. More than our great programs, our philanthropy, our generosity, our willingness to serve and volunteer, more than, than all of the, the great things that we can do, we are called to be carriers of the presence of God, to be a people marked by, singed by the fires of God. I wonder, when people get around your life, do they say, you kind of smell like smoke? And for those of you that smoke, not that kind of smoke. <laughs> when people get around you, can they tell that you've been close to God? Is there enough evidence if you were to be held in a court of law and accused of being a disciple of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Have you been spending time with Jesus? If you spend any time with us here at Courageous Church, you'll know that we're very passionate about prayer and we're passionate about the presence of God. We're passionate about being the kinds of people through which his power and his presence can flow. I love that song we sang tonight about breakthrough. Your power, your presence. I love the emphasis that we have as a people that when we gather, we're not just doing so as a social club, as a holy huddle, as a bunch of people that just want to learn some fun facts about God and or the scriptures. No, we do so as a people that get to experience the tangible manifest presence of God. It's powerful. One of the reasons we're so passionate about his presence is that we know that we can't do life apart from it. I don't know if you've tried, but let me tell you, it don't work too well. It can't work. Jesus actually reminds his followers of this in John chapter 15, verse five. Let's put it up on the screen. It says this, Jesus telling his disciples, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides, sits down with, remains with me and I in him, he it is or she it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. nothing. This is why it's so vital that we learn how to become the kinds of people who can yield to the work of the Holy Spirit and anchor our lives to this central theme of God's presence with us. And so we rest in this. We rest in this promise that when we go through the deep waters, when we go through rivers of difficulty, he's going to be with us. Now, in context, Isaiah 43 is an assurance being given to Israel but here's some good news. For those of you that are in Christ Jesus, guess what? You are grafted into the vine, which means that you're a part of the family, which means that you're heirs according to the promise given, which means that you qualify for this. So you don't have to be afraid when you go through it and you don't have to fear drowning. And you don't have to fear being overwhelmed by the storm. And here's the cool part. There's actually more to the promise. Listen to what the Lord says next. To his people, just a few verses later in Isaiah 43, verses 16 through 19. Here he says, go back. Thus says the Lord. Okay, so this is a message from God to his people. Thus says the Lord who makes a way. I want you to underline that. I want you to swipe that, highlight that, draw circles around it, put Lori's gold stars next to it. The one who makes a way in the sea, in the deep, in the deep and deep dark places, who makes a path in the mighty waters, 
who brings forth chariot and horse and army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished. They are laid to waste. They are quenched like a wick. And then here comes the familiar passage that some of you know. Verse 18. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold. Behold. In other words, wake up. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Amen and amen. Did you catch that? The Lord promises that he will make a way. Not your intellect, not your ability, not your 401k, not your great investment in saving skills, not your Dave Ramsey classes, not your Celebrate Recovery program. No, he will make a way. In whatever wilderness you find yourself in, in whatever rivers of difficulty you find yourself passing through. As I said, the title of this message and my one central point and big idea is this. He will make a way. Now, I'm sure you guys have, for those of you that have been paying attention to the news, or for those of you that haven't been fasting, uh, there's been a lot of discussion lately about the Great Salt Lake. Any of you guys kind of hear about what's been going on? If you've been following the news, you know that the Great Salt Lake has just hit an historic low in terms of its water level. It's the lowest it's ever been on record, and of course, people are kind of freaked out about this and about the consequences. Now, if you've been paying attention, you'll hear all sorts of people talk about different ways in which they envision we should go about fixing the problem. You guys hear about this? From reducing water usage to building a pipeline to the sea to redirecting water from local rivers. And there hasn't really been any unanimous agreement yet. But here's what I know. We serve a God that can and will make a way in the wilderness and who can cause rivers in the desert to flow. In fact, do you remember just a couple, I think it was a couple weeks ago, maybe, maybe it was a couple months ago. Everything kind of feels blurry these days. Do you remember when the governor called for a day of prayer to just pray for God to make it rain? And do you remember how much he was mocked and ridiculed for that? Now, I know this. I know that God is able and willing to do what he says he will do in his word. And we could use a little divine intervention. We could use some rain, amen? But I'm not here just to talk about the physical repercussions of this or the, the physical manifestation of this promise. I'm here to encourage us that no matter what it is that you might be facing right now, maybe it's a place of drought, personal drought, where you feel dry, or you're in a season of wilderness or wandering or searching or seeking after the truth, I know this, he will make a way for you. Which means that there's nothing that is impossible for him to do that he can't do on your behalf. Because he will make a way. Regardless of how difficult life might seem, he will make a way. Regardless of how big the storm or the crashing waves feel, he will make a way. Regardless of how dry our desert can be, come on. God will make a way. Do you believe that tonight? Yes. And if you do, I want to encourage you with this next verse. And we already read it, but let's see it again a little differently. Verse 18, let's put it up there. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing 
a new thing. Say new thing. I am doing a new thing. Church, he wants to do a new thing in your life. Do you believe that? He wants to do a new thing with our church. In case you haven't figured it out. He wants to do a new thing in the city. He wants to do a new thing with your marriage. He wants to do a new thing with your kids and your grandkids. Come on, Lori. He wants to do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Now, it's interesting to me that God asks this rhetorical question. All right. It's almost as if the evidence is so astonishingly clear, so abundantly obvious that he wonders why we miss it. How can we miss it? Do you not perceive the new thing I want to do? But the truth is we miss the new thing that God wants to do all the time, don't we? Oh, we miss it all the time. We don't always perceive or recognize or realize the new thing that God wants to do in our lives, at least not right away. Of course, the saying is hindsight is what? 2020. It's always easy to see what God has been doing after he does it, after the fact. But at the time that he does it, why is it so difficult for us to see it, to perceive it? Well, I'm going to try to give you a very simple answer to a very complex question. The truth is, most of us are too outcome-focused rather than process-minded. Can I say that again? The truth is, many of us, let's put it up there, Liam. Many of us are too, next slide, are too outcome-focused. We're focused on the end result rather than being process-minded. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that most of us get so fixated on the end result or the goal that we often ignore the process that it takes to get there. And when it comes to God doing a new thing in our life, we often can't see it because we're too consumed with how it's going to turn out, so much so that we miss the daily details of how God is actually at work. Let me give you guys a practical analogy. My wife is an excellent cook. And in case you haven't heard or you don't know, Pastor Jason's a little bit of a foodie. Okay, I like to eat. It's one of my favorite things to do. I'm really good at it. And... Part of the reason that my wife is an excellent cook is because she takes time to prepare the food and to prep it. She gathers all the right ingredients. She goes to the store and looks for the best stuff. She gets all the organic stuff. She carefully washes the vegetables. She balances all the right spices and seasonings. Any of you guys do that? She preps all of her marinades and she puts her whole heart into it. And as a result, what she makes is typically and usually amazing. But you know what I do sometimes? <laughs> Something that absolutely drives her nuts. Confession time. Sometimes if I'm too hasty or let's be honest, too hungry or impatient, I'll sneak into the kitchen for a little taste. If she's baking something, sometimes I'll dip my finger in the, the batter, you know, try to try a little bit of the frosting before it's ready. And if she catches me, which she usually does, I'm done for. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever been busted eating the cookie dough before it's ready? Okay. And you know why it drives her nuts? Because the food that she's putting her whole heart into isn't ready yet. It doesn't accurately and fully represent what she has been busy preparing are you with me? All right, the truth is, in order for me to truly appreciate the end result, 
I have to learn to be patient with the process. Now, in the same way, if we're too outcome focused, I just want to eat the cake and I want to have it now, and we're not process minded, letting her finish the work, we're going to risk trying something before it's time, or we end up rushing it, or we end up misjudging it, right? Well, in the same way, we do that with God. God's busy at work preparing behind the scenes. He's prepping. He's washing the vegetables. He's gathering the ingredients. He's adding the right amount of seasoning and sauce. And come on, how many of you guys know you can never have enough too, sauce, too much sauce? And he's doing this in your life on a daily basis. And it's a process. And if we're not careful, we can rush it because we want to get to the end. We want to see what God's going to do next. We want to get to the end of it. We want to grab a hold of it. We want to eat it. Right? Because we're outcome focused. We want to be about the result. And we're not patient enough with the process. Do you catch what I'm getting at? Far too many times, God is doing a new thing in our lives. We want to get to the result, but it's not ready yet. And God wants to say to some of you guys, simmer down now. Just be patient, my babies. It's going to be all right. It's going to be so good. When I'm done with what I'm cooking, it's going to be good. Do you guys believe that? God works like a master chef behind the scene taking his time. Far too often when we say that God's doing a new thing or that God will make a way, we think it's going to be instantaneous. And then what happens? We get disappointed. We get discouraged. We get disillusioned when it doesn't happen according to our timeline. Can I tell you guys, just personal confession, over these past few months, we've been praying and seeking the Lord and knocking on doors and it just feels like we've been given no after no after no after no. And it would be very easy for us to get discouraged in the natural, to be like, God, what the heck? You gave us this promise. You told us this was a year of, of transition and change. And why has nothing transitioned or changed? And God's like, it's because I'm still cooking. I'm still in the kitchen. And you're in here trying to dip your finger in my holy cake batter. And you need to get out. Because I ain't done yet. And when I get caught, that's usually what happens to me. Kansas is like, get out of my kitchen, you knucklehead. And then I do, very sadly. Truth is, God could move in a way that's accelerated. And sometimes he does. Sometimes God moves in a suddenly kind of way. But you know what I've found often to be the case? God likes to take his time. He's not limited the way we are in time and space. Do you guys believe that? God is spirit and he's not held according to our material world. He's not held to the standards of our timetable or clocks or calendars. He likes to take his time. Over the 4th of July weekend, you guys eat any good food? You guys have, have a good time? One of the things that I like to do is smoke food, okay? I have a smoker. I actually have two smokers now one that's way too big for me, and then a little small guy that's a pellet smoker. You just put the pellets in it, set the little temperature gauge, and then boom, let it do its magic. I just made some smoke tri-tip last night, and it was awesome. And so we went down to Las Vegas, spent some time with my wife and, and uh, her, her family, her, her dad and her sister and their family who lived down there. And I watched this show called The Great American Barbecue Competition. <laughs> What I love about this show is that it showcased some of the best 
barbecuers from all over the nation, from all over. And it showcased the methods that, were, that they were using from traditional southern barbecue to Texas barbecue to Korean barbecue to Filipino barbecue. It was awesome. And you know what I found very interesting? The one interesting, we could say it, commonality or shared thing that they all had in common was this. They all took their time. They didn't rush. They didn't rush. Can I tell you something? You cannot rush what God is doing because he likes to take his time. But if you and I would be willing, if we'd be courageous enough to trust him with the process, with the daily details of how he's working in our lives, what we'll discover is that the new thing that he wants to do is going to be good. And how do I know this? Put it up there, Liam, because God is good. Next slide. Because God is good. How do I know that God is up to something good? Because in his nature, in his character, the Lord is good. Some of you were fed a deception and a lie that God is capricious or mean or like a tyrant or a bully up in the clouds who changes his mind like Zeus. Took the kids to see that movie, Zor, or Zor, <laughs> Thor. And they had a depiction of Zeus, which I thought was interesting. They depicted, you know, and Greek mythology does this often, where they depict the gods like humans, right? Capricious, mean, temperamental, angry. And in this particular portrayal, not to spoil anything, uh, Zeus was a very temperamental kind of child. Kind of, kind of a you know, temperamental idiot, let's just say it that way. But that's not the picture we get of God from Scripture. God is eternally good. He's not a man that he should lie. He doesn't lie to us. There's no darkness in him, the Bible tells us. He's good. He's good. And you can trust his goodness in your life. That's why I know that his plans for us are good because he's essentially good. That's why I know that he's got a good future in store for this church because he is good. That's why I know he's got good plans for your life, you guys, because he is good. And one of the best things that we can do is get into a daily habit of reminding ourselves of the goodness of God. In fact, this is exactly what the psalmist encourages us to do to meditate on the goodness of the Lord. Let's put it up there. Psalm 23, one of everybody's favorite Psalms. Verse six says this, surely goodness and mercy, surely goodness, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How do I know that God will make a way in our wilderness church? How do I know that God will make streams flow in the midst of our desert? because his goodness and his mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And that should get a big amen tonight. Yeah. Friends, there's nowhere you can go. And there's nothing that you can do to outrun, outlast, or outmaneuver the goodness of God. Psalm 139, verse eight through 10 says it this way. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in shale, you are there. And if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, in the middle of the deep, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Did you catch that? 
Even in the uttermost parts of the sea, in the midst of the deep, even there his hand will lead you and his right hand will take hold of you. What a promise for those of us who believe, people of God, he will make a way. He will make a way. Maybe you're here today, you're watching or listening to this online and you'd say to me, Pastor Jay, I'm going through what feels like a little bit of a wilderness right now. I don't really know what to do. Can I encourage you? Can I encourage you guys tonight? Trust the process. Trust what the Lord is doing behind the scenes. He's up to something good, even though you can't see it. I like that song, Waymaker. Even though I can't see it, you're working. Even though I can't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. So we need to learn how to trust the process, to trust the working of the Lord. You're going to get through it. You're going to get through it because... God is with you, and he will not abandon you. Amen. Maybe you're here today, you're watching this. You'd say, Pastor Jay, I feel like I'm in over my head. I've, I've screwed up. I've made so many mistakes. I don't even know what to do. Let me encourage you as well. Trust his goodness. Trust that his mercies are ready to greet you new and afresh each and every morning. Trust in the unwavering faithfulness of God. He will not forsake you. He will not abandon you. Guys, he didn't bring us this far to leave us now. Come on, somebody. Do you believe that tonight? Then let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promise and your assurance, God, that you are with us, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that when we go through rivers of difficulty, when we find ourselves in the midst of the deep, overwhelmed by the crashing waves and storms of life, that we will not drown because You promise to make a way. Where there seems to be no way, you will make a way. In the middle of the wilderness, you will make a way. Lord, you'll cause streams of rivers of living water to flow up and to bubble up and to spring up from the deserts of our life. You'll make a way. Just like you did for your people in the Exodus, you're still doing for those of us today. You're wonder-working, powerful, miracle-working God. And you take great pleasure in doing the impossible in our life. And so I just pray for anybody tonight, Lord, that needs to be encouraged in their faith, where they find themselves, Lord, in a desert season or a wilderness time, Lord God, that you will encourage them right now, that you're going to make a way, that they need only to trust the process, trust that you are good, lean into your goodness, lean into your faithfulness, and watch you work. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.